Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust, the Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, hello. We are, um, we are inching toward a new dawn. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Again? <laughs> I, I, like, I like your... Uh, no, you're fine. I, uh, I like your face as you said that. It was very like stoic, like matter of fact, like, yeah, yeah, let's fucking yeah. go. Exactly. Look at me. I'm uh, swearing it, already. It's I'm go sorry, time. guys. Hey, you know what? Uh, I want to share something that that's, can we geek out for a second? Absolutely. Let's do this before, before we dive in. So, uh, those listening who are, you know, ultra big music aficionados, and I don't mean like, I love to listen to music. I mean, I love to play music, right? Mm-hmm. So... There's always the um, the mystique surrounding Mike's 1959 Sunburst oh. Strat. Okay, yes. so th- 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 I came across this article the other day. I was really, really excited about it because apparently, um, the Strat that Mike used it was his first ever vintage guitar, and he used it on Ten. He used it for Mad Season. He used it on Temple of the Dog. And uh, Fender, their custom shop came out and they recreated this guitar in exact detail. Okay. It's, it, it's a 60 instrument run, but in doing so, they discovered a secret about the guitar's lineage mm-hmm. that not even McCready knew. Mm-hmm. And that secret is that this guitar was made in 1960, not 1959, as had long been believed. That was, I mean, he literally did an episode for. It might have been Fender. I forget who it was for, like, I don't know, two or three years ago, talking about that particular Strat and how it was his baby. And you guys, if, if you've seen enough um, shows in real life and on YouTube or whatever, you know what that Strat is. It's it's worn to hell. They call it oh, relicking yeah. in the biz. It's heavily relicked for real. It's not like a custom shop that was made to look old. It's no, it's, it's old. It's beat to crap because it's he's original. Been playing on that thing for how many years? <laughs> I mean, it's usually the the go to guitar for the Even Flow song for and black, solo. Black, for, bed, I mean, for uh, Yellow Lead Better. Yep. But it was so, funny. He he <laughs> he has said in this interview. He said, uh, I'll, "For black, I'll use my '59 Strat, but I wouldn't use a Les Paul on that. I'll use a Les Paul for a live, but in the early days, I'd use a Strat because that's all I had. But I love them both." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people actually reached out when I say like, you know, because I'm, I'm a guitarist and I like to get gear and, and try and, you know, create my sound. And my sound is kind of like an amalgam of Stone and, and Mike because obviously. And um, when you're geeking out on the forums or the Facebook groups about guitar stuff, some people have no idea that Mike is into guitars that are not just strats. Like, I'm like, you, if you guys watch a show, he's got V's, he's got Les Paul's, he's yeah. got SG's, he's got Gretsch's, yeah. he's got... A whole number of things. Obviously, he's famous for the for the for the strat, and especially this particular strat because he plays it on some of their most famous songs, like Ledbetter and Flow and all that stuff. Um, 
Yeah, Fender Fender didn't actually really get into rosewood fretboard rosewood rosewood fretboards until the very tail end of '59 into '60. So right. that doesn't surprise me, and I say that as a complete nerd. And I know that there are some guitar nerds out there, um, and I think we will have some guitar nerdy type episodes down down the pike. Um, I may be alluding to something that may include a couple of special guests yeah. um, coming very soon about guitar specific moments in Pearl Jam. I'm excited history. about that. But anywho, by the way, that guitar is $15,000. Yeah, I was about to say, he said in 2013 <laughs> that w- when he was he was negotiating with Fender over this, they were having conversations. He said, I want something that's cool and affordable for kids. I don't want it to be ridiculously overpriced. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's 15 grand. When, when you custom shop a, a you know, a, a 59 or well, 60 um, Strat, you're going to probably get pretty high up. I mean, yeah. uh, an original, his original probably goes for 50 grand or something like that. Well, um, but even that, no. that actual guitar as beat to hell as it is, well, I mean, it, it's probably insanely priced because now the aura of it, all the shows it's been in the albums, oh, yeah. I mean, that thing's a, it's canonical, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so, if you're total in- aside, but I, I, no, I no, no, it's not, fun. it's not even an aside. It's, it's actually on, uh, on, uh, on brand for what we're doing here. Uh, it's an ultimate relic liqueur. Finish on a two-piece select alder body, a flat sawn flame maple neck with a 1960 oval C profile, a flat lamb rosewood fingerboard with 21 vintage frets, the trio of custom Josephina hand-wound pickups matched to the originals, connected to a five-way switch and vintage wiring, including a treble bleed tone capacitor. You know what's interesting, actually? Tell me. Going over all those specs. So if, I, if memory serves me, and some people will probably correct me, there was a for a long time, Fender did not offer a five-way toggle switch as a pickup really? selector. It was only a three-way. And the way that you would get those in between two and four positions is by manually like kind of eh, nudging it between the two spots. And that's how you got those kind of phasey sounds that that so many people have made famous, especially John Mayer recently. But right. anyway, that would be the one thing that wasn't like original, original. To my to my knowledge, it, it should be a three way that you have to like manually make. Anyways, right. This is a this is a rabbit hole that I wish like it Sergio is. from it Black is. Circle was here to talk about because he loves strats. But anyways, anyways, we're like eight minutes in talking about a thunder strat, <laughs> which is fine. I could talk about blame Paul. Days. That's that's what we do on this podcast. It's all good. It's all good. And you were worried about a second segment. I know. See, that's why I bled <laughs> this sucker in. <laughs> well, anywho, before we get really started, really into the meat of this thing, uh, please go and subscribe to the show. Uh, wherever you get it, Apple or Spotify or Google or Stitcher or whatever. And uh, please give us a, a review. Uh, rate us, hopefully five stars. If you want to demote a star because of my terrible opinion, you certainly may. I understand that. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's go. Let's get into things. Let's talk about um, something that is on the minds, has been on the minds of Pearl Jam fans probably since 2011 or so when the Versus and Vitalogy box set came out. Right. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, we saw in 09, the 10 box set come out, all kinds of demos and goodies and a a copy of a Mama Sun tape. And, you know, you get to the Versus and Vitalogy one, you get an LP copy of the the show from Boston at the Orpheum. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. Infamous show because the, the crew picked the set list, yada, 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 all these things. Okay, great. When's like the no code slash or, you know, slash uh, yield box set coming out? Right. Didn't come out, Paul. 
And much to my chagrin at the time, because I, in my head, I thought, well, what's, I mean, th these albums have aged so well. I mean, I get it. No code. There was a huge, like massive contingency of Pearl Jam fans that walked away. But uh, looking back now, it, for many, it's, it was an introduction to the band. And for even more, it's since become the favorite album of many a Pearl Jam fan. So Stone gets together with Mason Jennings and they sit down and they talked. What is it? Kyle Meredith with, is that, is that the show? Consequence of sound. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, right. I think it's the NPR station in Louisville. Right. There you go. And he mentions that definitely no code yield for sure. It's, it, it's going to happen. That's essentially what he says, because Which is news the question, to us. it is news to us, but he basically said, look, you know, we're slowing down a lot, basically because we're old and, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, as we grow older, we're looking towards the new, you know what I mean? Trying to, to, to explore new sounds and, and just a totally different sonic landscape, much in the way that they started to explore with Gigaton. And that's something Stone's extremely excited about because he was really able to explore some of that stuff, I think, with, uh, with, with Painted Shield. But what we noticed in this interview was how convinced he was that this is something that they're going to do. I mean, I don't know what, when they would do it, you know, what year, what type of uh, seminal offering it would be like, you know, let's do it for the X anniversary. I mean, I feel like those have kind of come and gone at this point, but well, I 2021 do, is 25th anniversary, but that's come and gone, you know, and, no, and it's I think now. Know, it's happening. Well, now. I know, but the reason I say it's come and gone is because the amount of work that you have to put in, you go back to what Jeff had to do for those other ones. It's not going to happen this year. It's come and gone. Correct. It's a foregone. There's no way it's coming out this. But color me shocked if it does. I would love it if it did. But I just think the amount of work that's going to have to go into that, and and nobody's thinking about even starting the project. Stone's just assuming that they'll probably get around to it. But I just don't know when it's going to happen. Nonetheless, since it might, which is a heck of a lot more positive than what we thought before, which is no, it's not happening at all. I think there's something we should talk about, Jason. Yeah, I think we should discuss what might be on there, what we would want to see on there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when it didn't come out, um, because we figured if it was going on the same calendar as the first two, right. it would come 20 out 20-year anniversary or something. Or so. yeah. um, just to kind of keep in line, maybe 2014, whatever. So some theories that kind of popped up online was that the guy who was in charge of this thing at Sony left. And so that just it just imploded from there. Another theory oh. was that... Um, well, we don't know, but people who've contacted the Tenant Club put the kibosh on the rumors. Okay. Cool. But, you know, we have two vault releases from 98, none from 96, the two from 98 being Washington, D.C., September 19th, and July 13th in Los Angeles. So there's been something, a little, little extra, a little spicy from 98, from the Yield era. Right. Not like there's nothing, but there's a lot of meat on the bone of no code and yield. Yeah. And if you'll indulge me, I'm going to rattle through all of the songs that we are aware of as, as a community of Pearl Jam that, that came out of the sessions of these two records. So here we go real quick. All night around the bend, black, red, yellow, brain of J dead man, Grammy out of control habit. Hail, hail hard to imagine. I'm open in my tree, leaving here, Lucan, Mankind, off he goes, present tense, red mosquito, smile, sometimes, who you are, Tommy Who, 
23 Street Chorus, Lucan 2, The Needle, Sunburn, Falling Down, Parting Ways, Olympic Platinum. Let's scoot ahead to the Yield Sessions. All Those Yesterdays, Bayleaf, Brain of J again, Bulldozer, Change, The Color Red, Do the Evolution, Faithful, Fallen, a.k.a. Falling Down, mm-hmm. Giving the Fly, Happy When I'm Crying, Hummus, In Hiding, Leatherman, Leatherman 2, Low Light, MFC, No Way, Of the Girl, Parting Ways, Pilot, Push Me, Pull Me, Thin Air, The Whale Song, Small Mosquito, Sweet Lou, Wishlist, and You. So there's a couple of things that doubled up between the sessions, a couple of things that didn't make it till binaural. Right, yeah. But if you if you take those two albums and you take the things that somehow found their way to a fan club single or a B-side or Lost Dogs, there mm-hmm. are still a few things remaining there from those two sessions. And I'm curious what your your initial thoughts are on with all this material, all that we have um, from these let's say four or five years, what kind of sticks out to you? Well, uh, first was there was a lot of really good songwriting that came out of those sessions. Um, I wish sunburn. I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard that track. I want to say it was on a, it was a B side on a holiday single or something like that. Uh, Stone sings on that track. It's actually a really good track. Is it um, named something else? Cause I don't think I've ever heard that song. No, I, I have to share that with you. I should post that online. Um, it's it's a good track, and for whatever reason, it it just wasn't included on the album. But Mankind makes it, but not this one. It's like mm. Stone, dude. It's like <laughs> alternate those two, man. Um, falling down, so it gets recorded twice, two separate sessions uh, over the course of what two to four years, and all we have is this live version of it. It's a fantastic track. I would love to get a studio version of this track. Uh, Lucan two is that is that slowed down or is it just a better version of Luke and that ultimately ends up on the album. I don't know. Who is Tommy? Tommy who? I don't know. Right? Let's hear it. Uh, 23 Street Chorus. That sounds interesting. Would love to hear it. The Needle? Hmm. Is, is it the the sister of Spin the Black Circle? What's going on here? So, yeah. at, the, <laughs> at the end of the day, I look at this, the, the, what we have here. I'm not saying all these have to get released, but it would be wonderful in a box that I would absolutely love to see, you know, two or three of these come out in the same way that we got, what was it? Acoustic number three, I think it was. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, and then of course you had Brendan O'Brien going on radio and we got, uh, what was it? Chinese? I think it was called. You remember that? Oh God. I don't remember that. Oh dude. Yeah. He went on after they did, um, Pearl Jam 20 and he had some tracks still from back in the day. And he's like, Oh yeah, here's some extra stuff that, that also, they had played, you know, I, I've heard a bunch of it and he plays this song and it, it's, it, it's a really fascinating musical tour through, through Pearl Jam. And it's totally different than what they've done in the past. Um, that's another one I should probably post for us, but there's these little gems that we just don't ever get a chance to hear. And so I'd love to see some of these tracks come out from the no code era on the yield side. Uh, most of these we did see sweet Lou whale song. You know what I mean? Uh, it, you mentioned some of the ones that ended up on, on binaural fascinating, by the way, the parting ways was recorded both times. Mm. Uh, really interesting. Would, would love to hear that on a VH1 storytellers. You know what I mean? Like what, what's the Genesis of that? Who's Leatherman too. I'd love to know. So I, I think there's less from uh, the yield session uh, other than you know change and uh, bulldozer i'm not really sure what those are that, that could be interesting what bayleaf i want to say was stone right that was it's gotta uh, be a stone thing yeah that, 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 that stone thing itself, so yeah. 
I think uh, there's definitely a couple of little pearls that they could kind of sprinkle in here in that box set. Like I said, maybe two, two or three b-sides or, or, or tracks that never got released i don't know if they'd have to polish them up or not or just release them as is uh, but there's a whole heck of a lot of extra from these eras this era i should say that i would love to see come out in in a far more um polished presentation namely some of the live shows from the no code era which we'll get into momentarily yeah you bring up the fact that there seems to be a little bit less than there was extra from the first few releases that we do have box sets too. When I was kind of going through this in a almost chronological way, I kind of broke it up between the sessions and I, I wrote down to myself, I wrote notes because I do what to expect. And from no code, when you think about the first two releases, there were a lot of demos, right? And I don't, right. I don't know how many demos there would have been from this session because as I've read, you know, the record's recorded in Chicago, New Orleans, and Seattle in between touring on Vitalogy. Ooh, they almost broke up over this thing. I right. Mean, it, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine there are a lot of demos, honestly, because it seems like there was just like, let's get in the studio and then just pound out a song. How, how much time could there have been where they could have recorded something, maybe like a four track from the tour bus? Maybe that's the demo. I, it just didn't seem like there was enough time to really have a whole bunch of demos sorted. And then you go into the studio and take your time kind of thing. Cause they weren't, they didn't have the time right. they were doing it in between shows, which nearly frazzled them to death and thank God for Jack irons. But yeah. um, so one of the things that really intrigues me about this era is I would love to see the pages of Ed's notebook. Oh, it'd be great. From what I've read, it sounds like a very stressful time for Ed yeah. specifically yeah. As he was slowly taking uh, creative control um, from the band to Jeff's irritation, as we've come to learn. <laughs> and there were some titled, you know, quote unquote songs that didn't make the record. Like, like we said, fan club single or lost dogs, Tommy who 23 street chorus, Luke and Two, the needle sunburn. Are these good? You, you tell me that sunburn is good and I'm going to take your word for it. Um, but I, I don't think that most of us have heard these demos. So that'd be interesting to hear for sure. And, you know, this is an era of the band that's kind of shrouded in more mystery than, than most uh, from them. And I'd really like to kind of see if there's any kind of home videos from the recording session or maybe sound checks from shows where they're trying well, out new material. like The Polaroids, right? No code. I mean, that was yeah, just a fascinating go. exploration into a, a kind of like a multimedia presentation of this particular, you know, exploration of, of, of creativity that they had going on at the time. And I, I, was it Jeff that took all those photos? I mean, he was kind of the leading art director know. as it were, if I recall, is, but yeah. so I, I kind of like to know more about all of those. I mean, the ones that we have, are, are those all there, there are, or, you know, maybe we get like an actual booklet with all the photos and, and then some, I don't know. That's exactly it. And I, and I think this era is, is, as far as a box set is, would be concerned in that context, I think it's less about extra music than it is trying to get into their headspace yeah. by reading notes or lyrics or letters. And I'd like to learn about, or I'd like to learn more about Jack Irons' influence on the other guys and keeping them from ripping each other apart. I mean, we've yeah. heard some stories, but like, this is the heat of the meat. If you're going to do a box set, I want to get some notes in there. Uh, yeah. Maybe there's some home videos. Like I said, Everyone was so stressed at that time between the Ticketmaster shit and Ed Stalker, yeah. you know, all while they're as famous as any band, you know, which they didn't like being. So, you know, it's just that it was a weird time 
for them. And it was just very, it, it wasn't rushed necessarily, but there was a concerted effort to steer away from the earlier stuff. And then you got 1997, right? There's only five shows in 97. The first of which is them as the honking seals as a little warm up gig for the stones shows in Santa Cruz, California. Um, the guys, again, from what we had read, didn't seem to be in the best of places as a band, but better than they were in the previous couple of years. Right. Most of that year spent recording Yield while Stone is touring with Brad and Jeff with mm-hmm. Three Fish. And if not for Mike, they probably would have, wouldn't have uh, played those Stones gigs. He's the one that was really kind of jonesing for him. Right. So we get into Yield, and Jeff admitted to Rolling Stone it was the first time that every member contributed individual tracks and he's right if you go back and we have our little spreadsheet so we know what's what's what every song on that album has one musical songwriter four of which that songwriter wrote the lyrics as well Mm -hmm. so it was collaborative but in a very individual individual i can't say the word individualistic way so it's an odd way to kind of get themselves back together um, after the, the 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 turmoil that was the previous three years, they yielded to it, for, for lack of a better term. I mean, <laughs> they, they did. I mean, yeah. they were super burned out, as we've discussed. And you know, as asking Jeff if the rest of the guys could bring in more complete song ideas for Yield, and the other guys love this, took it to heart, which is why you got these more complete songs into the into the record. Mm-hmm. And overall, it seemed like the guys were starting to get more along. Um, Ed seemed to be in a more in a more calm place, and I wonder if this was reflected in any unearth video. Again, letters, lyrics, home videos, stuff we haven't seen yeah. from single. Well, we we did get single. Yeah, I was about to say we did get single video theory. We so got we have a little bit of that. That's a snapshot, but there's got to be more there. It's a very trying time. It's a long year spent recording the album and some of the guys going off and doing side projects. There's got to be something there. So again, it's almost like. I'm almost more intrigued by the non-musical stuff because it fills in these gaps where they were very mysterious in the mid to late nineties. On top of that, you've got Brendan O'Brien saying the band consciously tried to create more accessible songs, you know, than no code. Mm-hmm. I'd love to read some producer notes from these sessions. Absolutely. Perhaps there's a letter from him looking back, you know, it'd be cool to see storyboards from Todd McFarlane for the do the evolution video. And there's, there's so many other things besides, you know, Bulldozer Change, Leatherman 2, Small Mosquito. Want to hear those things. But when if when fans talk about, or even the band says, well, there's not enough material to really put anything out. We remastered, you know, the, the albums on vinyl. Here you go. No, man, there's, there's tons of stuff there. It's whether or not you're, they're willing to be vulnerable enough to, to, to let us have it. Right. I think the crown jewel of all of this, and you mentioned it, is falling down. Yeah, as do I. Recorded in both sessions, never saw the light of day in the studio. Um, only saw it one time in Colorado at Red Rocks. I'm super curious what this sounds like in a studio environment. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the type of track where I feel like it would have kind of a similar following as Hard to Imagine. Mm-hmm, yes. So 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 this track, I think, for fans who really fell in with the band and stuck with them this long, I, I think it would be kind of the second coming for me of, of of what Hard to Imagine was for a lot of folks who were with the band in the early 90s. Um, 
I will say this though, when it comes to live shows, I would love to get Melbourne from 95. I mean, that was a, they, they, they did Melbourne on March 16th, March 17th, March 18th. That's three days they played Melbourne. I mean, that, year? 1995. Oh, 95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 95. So I'd love to get that. And I'd love to get the two shows in Germany in 96, oh. November 3rd and 4th yeah. in Hamburg and in Berlin, who, who, yeah. t- two of the best from the no-code era. So to, to get, imagine, I mean, look, maybe that's why we haven't gotten those as vault releases. Maybe they're, they're actually going to come out on vinyl or at least maybe one of those shows. I don't know. But that something for me, if you said, hey, you get one thing, mm-hmm. one request for this box set, what's it going to be? I'm going to say, give me one of those shows. Just polish that sucker up. I want it. <laughs> Give me that show. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, to pile on this whole craving a a proper soundboard quality, no code era show. Yeah. May I submit to you um Randall's Island in New York City, possibly night wow. two. Um Hartford, first time they ever played Hartford, and it was incredible. There is a soundboard recording out there, but you know, if it's polished up and remixed properly. How about um, those shows in, in uh in Asia in, in, in Taiwan? Oh my god. In I mean, Thailand and in ninety five. Then you got yeah. Manila, Singapore. Yeah. Incredible shows. Great stuff, man. This- if they if they could tie that in, I mean, there is so much to pull from. They could do a live on ninety six legs, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't know. But mm-hmm. there, yeah. there's there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, I think there's probably some good artwork. I, I'm sure there's tons of extra stuff in the cutting room floor from No Code. Maybe there's some extra shots of Montana when they're shooting the cover for Yield. I don't know. But to tell me that there's not enough there or there's not enough appeal, listen, who's going to buy a box anyways? The super fans. Exactly. Who else is going to drop 150 on one of these things? You and this me. This guy. Right and here. People listening to this. <laughs> the guy that has a thumb pointing at himself right now. It, it's. <laughs> So why not? I mean, I don't know what they're waiting for. Maybe they're waiting for another anniversary or the fact that, you know, if they have their first album after seven years, maybe it'll be another seven years before the next one. And so they got to fill in the gap somehow. Hey, maybe another box set. Yeah. You know, I don't know, but I think there's enough there. And I think we would all agree that it would be lovely to get that. And you know what else that you and I would agree on, Jason? is hearing what those listening would like to see on these box sets. Absolutely. Is there something that we have not mentioned that you are aware of that you're like, this has got to be included in a box set. Let or us maybe know. you just hit us up on Instagram, on Facebook and say, how the hell did you guys not think to say this should be in that box set? Like, are you guys fan? Are you really fans? Why, why do you, maybe I should take the place of one of you fools. I don't know. It sounds like a uh, like a contest. Win yeah. <laughs> Jason, you're out. Whoever <laughs> co-hosts. All right. Well, I can't do this without you. Don't leave me. Okay. Okay. That's so nice. It is. Let's um. Let's go to lyric of the week. Lyric of the week this week comes from No Code, and it's smile.
this song, I think some would say is kind of kitschy or is fun to hear, but it's kind of maybe even a throwaway song. Not much to it. Very simple. Ah, I disagree. As do I. We, we've chosen, I mean, there's only so many lyrics in this song. We've chosen the, uh, the set that's pretty much carried through the, throughout the entire song. Don't it make you smile? Don't it make me smile? When the sun don't shine, it don't shine at all. Don't it make me smile? The lyrics to Smile, if you didn't know, are taken from a note that Dennis Flemion of the Frogs hid inside Eddie Vedder's notebook while he was on stage performing. This is in, I believe, 95. The words used in the note are taken from the Frogs' songs, This Is How I Feel and Now I Want to Be Dead. I don't know when, but Jimmy Flemion, also of the Frogs, posted on a Tumblr, posted on Tumblr, a blog post, the story behind this in detail. The song is tragic, it's depressing, damn near suicidal. Here's a couple of hits from that song, and you'll see where Smile comes from, just from these little sections. This is how I feel when I'm happy. This is how I feel when I'm sad. This is how I feel. Don't it make you cry when the sky don't shine. Don't it make you cry. Don't it make you cry. Don't it make you smile on the other side. So Ed found the note and told the Flemions he was going to use those words in, in a new song of his called Smile. Even the three crooked hearts swirls all around line literally references doodles that Dennis drew on Ed's notebook. So it's Ed's turning. It, it's Ed's turning. It's Ed turning a negative to a positive. Obviously yeah. the Flemions, um, Jimmy specifically, were in a really bad place, really dark place. Right. And he, and he says so in detail in this blog post. It's actually great. I don't know how I didn't see it before. Trying to take something negative and trying to sympathize with a friend and force him to change his point of view just you know, with a few slight word changes to be positive, to force his friend to find the good. Oh, man. That's where we're at today. Yeah. There is so much negativity, Paul. Uh, it's inescapable. And we need to find ways to produce positivity and joy from what's in front of us. Because without doing that, we will fall deeper into a hole of sorrow. And this is an interesting week to analyze these lyrics. What's we, happening this week, Jason? We got something big happening tomorrow. What? Well, oh, as yeah? As, as, this, as you're listening to this on the day it's released, tomorrow, but it could be in the past for, for all we know when you're listening to it. Um, I think most of the country is smiling, albeit with a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. There's a new president, which means not the old one. But there are some who aren't. They're smiling when the sun don't shine for the rest of us. That's really sadistic and unhealthy, uh, if I'm being honest. And those people need help. I wish we could help them. But we as a collective need to forge happier paths. And this means bonding together to form a more positive future by doing the hard work now. Yep. The first step in turning a negative to a positive is to change your attitude, a conscious decision to find the good. And that's what Ed is saying here to me. When the sun don't shine, when everything seems shitty, you have to smile. You have to find the good and foster that. Stay focused. And this could be the start of something great. And that's how I take this song in this moment, these lyrics that come from a place that probably no one really thought where they came from before. Oh, it's just a throwaway song about being happy. Nah, man. 
took a really shitty situation from a friend of his from a little note that he happened to throw in his notebook and spun it into positivity. How is that not needed right now, Paul Gilleary? I submit to you. Today, U.S. Capitol Police arrested a Virginia man as this guy attempts to pass through a police checkpoint in downtown Washington. I'm sorry, this was, this was Friday. I, I stand corrected. Uh, this guy had fake inaugural credentials, a loaded handgun, and over 500 rounds of ammunition, according to a CNN report. Don't it make you smile, Jason, that what is inspiring this type of behavior is no longer sitting in an office normalizing it. Yes. So. (laughs) (laughs) Short answer, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, you know, we talked about this before where where I was saying, well, because you asked me like, yeah, that's pretty good lyrical choice for the week little tongue in cheek and i was like you know i I thought about going all the way in that direction like (laughs) uh but the reality is that we've been dealing with a lot of negativity regardless of where your political affiliations lie it's really hard to argue that what we've seen happening in this country for a few years now is not rife with negativity and i just feel like at the very least we're about to experience what will hopefully be a culture change. Um, it, it feels like a, 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 an NFL team that has just been in a rut and Black Friday hits and they can the coach and they bring somebody in and it's clearly a culture change hire. <laughs> it's like we got to just turn the ship around because it is just it's, it's literally being driven into the ground right now. And, and I'm pretty excited more than anything else to just not cringe Every time something is announced out of that building anymore, <laughs> oh my Lord. that building, meaning the white house. So look, I, uh, <clears throat> I feel like it's disturbing and concerning that this man tried to pass through a checkpoint with this on his person. And it's indicative for me of why a culture shift is absolutely paramount right now. So these lyrics to me are very prescient and prescient, pardon me. And I feel like this particular track right now is needed. And just in the same way that Eddie saw a friend and said, I'm going to spin this around and hand it back to you, my friend. Here's a gift. Uh, This song can be a gift to us right now because we could really, really use a reason to smile. And I feel like we finally have some reasons to smile. and, And that's noteworthy. Let's go to the live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! All right, Paul. Smile. No code era. Where are we going? You know, there's not a lot from this era of great sound quality like I mentioned, you know, you've got Hamburg and Berlin, you have some shows in Australia, but November 21st, 1996, Barcelona. That's where we're going. Mm. And I'll tell you why after we take a gander.
sun don't shine Barcelona. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Barcelona. There you go. For all of our Spanish-speaking people of of España, I, I apologize for my shitty accent, but there you go. Smile. It's um the the bootleg is actually very good quality, mm-hmm. but we were treated to a proper version of this on a Vaglum single. Mm-hmm. We sure were. And that's the thing. You know with me when it comes to these these best live cuts that sound quality is obviously at the top of my list. And so there might be a performance out there that is legendary for those who were in attendance, 
But if it's a really inferior audience recording of it that I just can't listen to, <laughs> I'd rather have something that maybe isn't as legendary, but it just sounds impeccable and it's still extremely well done. Because at the end of the day, like you're, you're listening to it on your stereo or in your car or on your headphones. You know what I mean? You're not there live. And so if you can't recreate that experience in your head, the quality better be good. So this was, um, it's a great sound cut. And it's also a rare soundboard cut released stateside because that wasn't common for the no code era. As yeah. a matter of fact, I don't think the Hamburg show, the Berlin show, the Melbourne shows, these were never released as official bootlegs out here in the States. I mean, we have really good cuts, but mostly because they were soundboard recordings that were happening abroad that were eventually found. And then, you know, uh, yeah. some folks kind of remastered them and whatnot. But if the band felt that it was a great enough performance that they wanted to share it, because they could have, they played this song, I don't know how many times, I'd have to go back and count, but enough times where they had an ample selection and they said, let's take this one. You know what I mean? And so, I don't know, just, just that connection to its release and the quality of it for me makes it just a fantastic uh, version of the song. And right, as of right now, it's the best live version from that era that I would recommend anybody listen to, as I'm sure most people listening probably already have it. 77 times. As I, as I check out livefootsteps.org. It's been a closer twice. How about that? Interesting. Oh. Um, this song, you know, with this performance, first of all, the harmonica is damn near perfect. Yes, which is it great. is. The I Miss You Already in the second chorus, it's strained. It adds a little extra for me. I mm -hmm. love it. The outro is very album correct, which is rare for them. Usually they kind of mm -hmm. just trail that for an indefinite amount of time. It's, I think it changes from 4-4 four, four to 5-4, so it, just, it sounds a little funky getting to the end there. Um, Ed introduces the song by asking the crowd, Como se dice smile? Which means, how do you how say do you smile? <laughs> yeah, obviously in Spanish, implying what's the translation for smile. Well, the idea of how do you say what is smile right now is pretty apt. Are you smiling? What does your smile mean? Again, somehow, 1996, 25 years ago, he says something to introduce the song, and it feels very poignant now in 2021. It's just very weird how that works out. And, oh, by the way, I love how this follows the song present tense. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, there you go. It, it just all kind of works out to make the song and this version of the song elevate. Um, like I said, it's not a kitschy song. It's not a throwaway. It's not a, oh, I heard that. I can knock it off the checklist and I don't want to listen to it again. No, it's deeper than you think it is. I'm telling you. Um, and you get to see Stone on Bass and Jeff on Guitar, which is, but for Dance of Clairvoyance, never going to happen. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> um any last thoughts here on this one? No, man. It's I had a lot of fun talking smile. God, man. Finally gets it. It's just desserts, huh? Absolutely. Well, gang, that's the episode for this week. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, next week with another one. And uh, we've got uh, an interesting one next week. It's all about, uh, well, I shouldn't say it's all about, but have you ever heard Pearl Jam with a symphony orchestra? We're going to discuss that very topic next week. And in a couple weeks... Oh my God, they're planning. They're planning episodes. What's going on right now? In a couple weeks, we will be joined by some friends to discuss the best guitar moments of the last 20 years 
since it started official bootlegs. So look out for that. And until the next week's episode, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. <laughs>